It's that time. Everything and anything basketball. Presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Furitani Castleman and host Spencer Byers. This is Polar Opposites. And welcome everyone. Monday edition, technically, technically Tuesday, because we're recording this really early in the morning, technically on December 12th, on 2023, 12-12. Polar opposites, Spencer Byers, Cajun, Theru, Thandy Castellum. And Cage, you went two for three. I went 0 for five in the in-season tournament, so I couldn't have shot worse from the free throw line. You shot like the Raptors in the playoffs at the free throw line. The As, Raptors uh, in you shot in, you were closer to the Raptors in the playoffs than I was. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think you technically were percentage wise. I was a hell of a lot worse than the Raptors. Uh, again, over five myself in the in season tournament as the Los Angeles Lakers win the inaugural in season tournament 123 109 over those beloved on the podcast Indiana Pacers. Anthony Davis led the way 41 points, 20 rebounds, five assists, and four blocks as the Lakers kind of stormed their way to a to an in season championship cage. They blew out their other competition in the in-season tourney as it kind of bored its way on as i can't even now see the games here kids i'm getting a little, conf- a little confounded here as i'm not even on their schedule are the games of the in-season tournament so i will just scoot by after they beat the pelicans in the semifinals, 133 89 over those pelicans and obviously had their big win um in the, in the final over the pacers so again the Lakers just steamrolled their way to the inaugural championship. LeBron had 24 points, 11 rebounds, and four assists in the win for the yellow and purple. So, Cage, and I I know you're going to take a chuckle at this, the Lakers are putting up a banner. They're putting up the banner at the, I believe, end of the month are the Lakers putting up their championship banner here in the in-season turning actually i do tell a lie it's going to be the 18th of december which a quick look at the calendar cage tells me that's next monday so on next monday's edition of polar opposites it'll be the day of or after they raise the unique nba cup banner to the rafters at the crypto.com arena so I guess how impressed are you by the Lakers winning the, ch- the championship with how I'll say old they are with LeBron and AD still leading the way for them, and then we'll we'll let you sink your teeth into the the banner discussion, which I know you're going to be oh so fair to those Los Angeles Lakers about, aren't you? Aren't you? So what would you make there at the older Lakers and winning their first, the winning the first NBA Cup? I mean. It would, the way they, with the exception of maybe the Sun playing against the Suns, they dominated. And I give credit where credit is due. They executed their game plan. Um, they attacked the paint um, throughout throughout the in-season tournament and especially during the knockout games. Um. And they did what they had to do. They literally did what they had to do. And 
they did a heck of a they did a heck of a job. Um, now people are gonna gripe with LeBron getting the in season tournament MVP when AD had forty and twenty one. It's a tournament award. It's a tournament MVP award, not based off of the finals. And LeBron had a better turn had a better tournament than AD. Like had had a better tournament season in season tournament or whatever you want to call it. He was his body of work was better overall than AD's. But to hang up a when you told me about hanging up a banner, I'm like I I just had to chuckle because I'm like, bruh. I'm like, what are we doing here? I know it's the first one, granted. But come on, bruh. Like. In the word in, in in the octave of Spencer Byers, what are we doing? But nah, the the Lakers showed that they can that um they can play bully ball on the inside. Didn't hit a lot of threes, but they played bully ball on the inside and defend and they got length defensively, and um that's what they had and that's what they're gonna have to go by in order to make a playoff run, to make a run to a title. But they do need a little bit more offense. They do need a little bit more offense. It it struggled at times, like especially from the outside. But that's something that the Lakers are going to have to deal with at the trade deadline. Okay, do you say they didn't make a lot of threes in the final? They went 2 of 13 from the three-point line. That's 15% for the Lakers. So that is abysmal three-point shooting. They shot 53% from the field. So if you exclude that three-point percentage, that's probably close to 60% or so without doing the quick math, which I now will probably do, Mm -hmm. as the numbers are actually pretty clean to be able to do the quick math which is actually exactly 60%. So damn am I good, Cage. Damn am I good. But I uh, mm. also want to mention, Cage, the uh, in-season tournament, all-tournament team. Yeah, I know. A lot of all-in-season, all-tournament, tournament team. The tournament, tournament team, if you will. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, and Tyrese Halliburton are your five players to make the all-tournament team of 2023. Not really a bad player of that group, Cage, and I think the the guy to bust onto the scene of those five is Tyrese Halliburton, and you got to think that this is, again, just the beginning of what's going to be a great accolade year for Halliburton. You would definitely have to think so after... Such a performance like this from Tyrese Halliburton, and I gotta say, Spence, like that was very impressive in terms of what Halliburton had done to lead the Pacers to that place. And I wish got like he fought like the Pacers and Halliburton finally got the attention. I guess I guess saying maybe the uh, the national recognition that they very well so deserve it shouldn't have taken the in-season tournament 
for that to happen because that's just ridiculous. It doesn't need to take the in-season tournament for that to happen. But with that being said, heck of a job by Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner. And it wasn't just and it wasn't just those two. Obi Toppin played well. Aaron Neesmith guarded the did a heck of a job guarding the opposing team's best players and holding it down. You talked about Benedict Matherin just before we started recording. Man had a 30-piece against the Pistons. And then the it's not like it's not like the ball movement gets any worse when Halliburton goes to the bench because you got guys like Andrew Nemard and TJ McConnell, McConnell, or as I like to call him, MJ McConnell. But these guys are talented. These, these guys are hella talented and they're playing for each other. And that's the big thing. They're playing for each other. And I'm glad they're finally getting the... I'm glad they're finally getting the recognition that they deserve. But this should have happened a while ago. But this recognition should have already been there. We're going to move backwards a little bit here in the in-season tournament. So when the Pacers beat the Bucks in the semifinals, 128-119, that was last Thursday, Bobby Portis aired out his grievances with his team and new head coach Adrian Griffin, challenging both his team and rookie head coach Adrian Griffin, and what he lamented to Adrian Griffin, I know I'm saying Adrian Griffin a lot because some of you might not even know who he is because he was a former Raptors assistant, is in his first year with the with the Milwaukee Bucks, who are, you'd expect, again, championship title contenders. It's a team that expects to be in or around the title contention. Um, Portis just wanted... Griffin to be more aggressive and more concrete with the plays and the sets they were running in the uh, late stages of that game against the Indiana Pacers because as good as Milwaukee as good as Milwaukee has been in the latter stages of games, one of the better fourth quarter teams in all of basketball, they really struggled against the Pacers in crunch time. And it cost them, obviously, dearly when it came to the final score. Looking at it, the last 12 minutes of the game, the Bucks shot just 2 for 11 from deep. They only shot 36% from the field. And they were outscored by 12 in that fourth quarter, which they ended up losing the game again by only 9. So it was just a uh, a bad ending there for the Bucks, And Bobby Portis wanted to make sure his team knew that it was not acceptable, which I do think is kind of funny that a bench guy is the one making that distinction, especially with a rookie head coach who's obviously going to make mistakes in, in, in Griffin. But you can't really argue that he's wrong. He's not wrong. Because not wrong. you do got to be you got to be more aggressive in certain situations, especially when you're struggling on offense in the in the fourth quarter in a tight game. And he did say that his the the got the guys the players do need to execute better regardless of what play is being called, but that Griffin's got to be more aggressive and and more clear and concise with what he wants the guys to do. Yeah, like will it draw a little bit? Of, will it draw some snickers knowing that it came from a bench player? Yes, 
was he wrong? No. Like, Bobby Portis has not lacked passion. Case in point, case in point, um, um, his celebration, his celebrations during the 2021 NBA Finals and the, the emotion he exudes on the court whenever he make, makes a big play. But, and it's early, it's early, and I'm pretty sure this game against Chicago, in which it went to overtime, was probably proven his point. Because I know Chicago's played a lot better ever since Levine, Zach Levine went down. Kobe White's been putting up some big-time numbers ever since he's taken on a more central role in the offense. But you can't be going overtime at home against the Bulls. And I think he's referring to stuff like that. Because, like, there's a ton of stuff that there's a ton of, ton of stuff that needs to be cleaned up, cleaned up from the books. Yet they're right there. Like, yet, yet they're right near the top of the East. So, it's not like they're going to be It's not like they're going to it's it's not like they're terrible right now. They're going through some of these struggles like on both ends of the floor and yet they're near the top of the east. Fix that fix that stuff up. And that this Bucks team, I got to tell you, it's going to be a scary team now. They still got to figure out what they're going to do defensively with the backcourt of Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley. But Chris Middleton seemingly found his form and is playing more minutes because of it. Any championship team has got to hold accountability for themselves. And Bobby Portis is doing exactly that. Should that have even come out in the out of their locker room in the first place? No. That's something I'm like, that's got to stay in the locker room. But I don't have an issue with it. Maybe people will question the messenger, but the message wasn't wrong. Can't really argue with that. The Bucks are currently tied with the Orlando Magic for second in the East, only behind the Boston Celtics, who technically have the same same amount of wins as both the Bucks and the Magic, just two less games played. They're 16 and 5 are the East leading Boston Celtics, while the Magic and Bucks are 16 and 7 currently on the season. But moving back to Indiana just for a second to mention as much as we don't like talking about negativity on the show, it's got to be mentioned because it's historic or getting damn close, Cage. The Detroit Pistons lost to the Indiana Pacers 131-123, marking that the 20th straight loss for the Michigan-based team. That places them tied for third worst losing streak or biggest longest running single season losing streak in NBA history, third longest. That single season, meaning it can't be the end of one season going into another. Those are excluded from that number. There are a couple of teams who have longer or same relative, same losing streak in that, but that's over two seasons, not one. So single season losing streaks, they are tied for third 
with the, as I quickly look, the 2020-2021 Houston Rockets, the 1993-94 Dallas Mavericks, and the 1972-73 Philadelphia 76ers, who, uh, who appear a couple other times on this list with the single season and over multiple seasons. So if the Philadelphia 76ers suck, they suck a lot. But Detroit really, it's been a really horrible start, Cage. You can't use enough deplorable words to explain just how rotten the Pistons have been to start this year. And again, Cage, they're 2-23. and 23. They had a 2-1 start. Yeah. Or I guess, I believe it was 2-1 and one start, and now they've lost 20 straight. So I guess 2-21, and 21, pardon me, for those Detroit Pistons. And it is two and twenty-one. So I did give them a couple extra losses there. But two and twenty-one, they started this season off two and one. You think maybe they're they maybe they found the right mix. Maybe Monty Williams has gotten them playing the right way. And then they lose twenty straight games and have tied for the third longest losing streak ever in a single season. They are three lose three losses away from tying second with the Vancouver Grizzlies, the Denver Nuggets, and the Charlotte Bobcats. And then twenty-six is the magical number or tied for first or tied for the longest losing streak ever with the Caval- with the Cleveland Cavaliers of 2010-11 and the Philadelphia 76ers of 2013-14. So lots of futility in the list, obviously, of longest losing streaks ever in a single season. And the Pistons are etching their way closer to being immortalized in that list of, futi- uh, of futility. Oh, man. And based off of the way these next three games are going to be for Detroit, this might stretch out to 23. You got Det- you got Philly on Wednesday in Detroit, and then Philly again, th- this time on the road on Friday. <laughs> then you got the Bucks right after on a back-to-back, so good luck with that. Then you go to ATL to play the Hawks. Depending on which sort of Hawks team you might get, eh, that could go either. That could go either way, but the Hawks are. The Hawks should win that game. I think the big game that you got to really circle is the 21st against the Utah Jazz. And it depends on how many guys come back for Utah by then. Because that could be the game the streak ends. But if they can't find a way to end the streak then, oh boy. Uh, Philly might want to... Philly will... um, not live forever in, in infamy anymore. It's been it's it's been rough to put things lightly. Now I watched that Pacers Pistons game. They actually did play decent. Not defensively, but who would play defense who would play decent defensively against the best scoring team in the league in the Pacers. Um but I digress. But they just can't find a way to win a game. 
and they never won a game in November, haven't won a game in December yet. They're one and eleven at home. They finally had Oscar Thompson back in the starting lineup only because Marvin Bagley the third was hurt. And Duran was too. I think my issue with the Pistons is not because of the number of losses. It's how they're losing. And I mentioned Oscar Thompson and Jaden Ivey. They haven't really played much during this losing streak. Like Ivey's minutes have been up and down. And Thompson did start, but then he came off the bench for reasons only known to us. For reasons only known to Monty Williams, excuse me. But when you're a young team that's trying to figure out how to win and trying to learn the right way, you gotta play your you gotta play your young studs. And if you're trying to ride your veterans, because you mentioned this earlier, Spencer, where was Marcus Sasser too in, in this too? He didn't play tonight. Did not did not record a minute. Was a healthy scratch, technically, if you will, and, for tonight's game against the Pacers. And I saw Ivy play 34 minutes, and I was shook. Because either this guy has played 13, 12, 15 minutes, and this was the fifth overall pick in last year's draft that started a whole bunch of games last season. And is... And is... And, Taking the spot in the starting lineup is Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes. Like, I don't know what Monty's doing. Cage, you say started a bunch of games. He started 73 out of 74 games he appeared in last year. And I assume he missed those other, quick count, eight games due to injury. So he basically started his entire rookie season in the NBA. He is now six, started six out of 18, which is exactly 33% of the games this season that he's been, that he's appeared in. And it's not even that. Sometimes he's, sometimes I've seen, he's the 11th guy off the bench, like 11th guy to get on the floor on the, on that Pistons team. I'm like, yo, what are you, Monty, what in the world are you doing? And, and, and I, I will mention quick cage to interrupt you. He's not even playing bad. His field goal percentage was, 41% from the field last year in his 31 minutes of play and only 23 minutes per uh, per game average 23 minutes per game he's shooting 48% from the field and a relatively the same three point percentage with less attempts like he is unequivocally shooting better from the floor and he's starting he's playing and starting less so it's not performance based it's something else at least it has to be something else you think it's ridiculous as ridiculous is what it is and i hope this does get better for detroit because there's a lot of guys on that team that i actually that i like jalen duran jaden ivy oscar thompson who was who was honestly a defensive stud and a fantasy stud until monty, monty williams decided to you know, do Monty Williams things. I don't know if this is going to get any better anytime soon. That's kind of the thing, Cage. If you look at the Pistons on their 20-game losing streak, 
and you look at this like it's hard to pick a win because how do you pick a team they beat when they've lost 20 straight they've been so bad they've been real close in some games but you also look at the team and go okay but who is their best five players like normally even bad teams have an ironed out starting five. These are our five best players. These are the five guys we're going to play upwards of 28 to 30 minutes a night, if not more than that. The Pistons don't have that. They don't have five guys. They got Cade Cunningham, I would say Osser Thompson, and then who else? Jalen Duran. They just got back Boyan Bogdanovich. He's played all of three games this year for Detroit, so... If that, that would have helped. They haven't won a game yet with him in the starting lineup or in, in the lineup in general. Um, is Isaiah Stewart a top-five player for them? I'm not sure. I like Isaiah Stewart. I know you like Isaiah Stewart. I'm not sure he's a top-five player on that team. Is Jaden Ivey? Is Jalen Duran? You know, Killian Hayes, where's he fit in this? You know, I love Isaiah Livers. I don't think he's a top five player, but he's he started some some games last year. He started a game this year as has Isaiah Livers, former for Michigan player. I love James Wiseman. I'm not sure what he is right now as a Piston. You know, obviously you mentioned Marvin Bagley earlier. He start he's been starting in certain games. I love Marcus Sasser. I know he's not one of the top five players, but he's a most recent draft pick. Like. Who are the who are the Pistons starting five? Who are the five guys that you Monty Williams trusts the most? I don't think he's found that yet. And until the Pistons find those five guys that they're going to start and kind of stick with, they're going to keep losing games because you can't. As much as you want to develop a lot of young guys and you want to play a bunch of young guys. Those two things normally don't go hand-in-hand. Hand. Normally, a team doesn't play a lot, of, a lot of young guys and win a lot of games. It's normally one or the other. Not always, but mostly, especially in recent history. So mm. I don't know if the Pistons need a little reset, meaning they trade a couple of the, of the younger guys, if it's Hayes, if it's Stewart. You know, if it's Livers or Wiseman or even Bagley. Because I would say Oscar Thompson's untouchable. I would say Cade Cunningham's untouchable. And I would think Jaden Ivey's untouchable. But as you mentioned, with the way Monty Williams has used him at times, maybe that's not true either. So I don't really know what Detroit can do to fix this or even put put, put the tape, you know, on the sink, sinking ship. But they got to find something or they're going to be immortalized as one of the worst teams ever created. And that shouldn't be the case with this much young talent because Jaden Ivey is a really good basketball player. Kate Cunningham's fantastic. You and I love Jalen Duran, who was formerly the youngest player in the NBA with where his birthday landed. You and I both love Oscar Thompson. I love Marcus Sasser, like Isaiah Livers. I really like James Wiseman. Like, I like half of the Pistons team, so I want to see them win. But I don't know if this team can, and that would mean figuring out who you think is going to make it as an NBA player, if not, you know, looking at the guys who could be superstars or stars or starters, and then cutting the wheat from the cut, cutting the chaff from the wheat. Yeah, that's the problem with 
that's the problem with the Pistons right now. Like, there's no certain answer. There's no sort of, like, structure or, like, answer in place. It's just they're trying to figure things out on the fly, and it ain't working for them right now. And I don't know when that will click for them. Even if, case, not just when, if it'll click for them as a team. As uh, also mentioning, and again, we hate talking about negatives here, but <laughs> two big things have happened in the last day. It is the San Antonio Spurs. They've lost a record, or a franchise record 17th straight game after their loss to Houston, as you listened to this yesterday, on Monday, December 10th. 93-82. They scored 82 points in the loss. Wembenyama had 15 points, pardon me, 18 rebounds, and five blocks in the loss did the first overall pick in last year's draft. But San Antonio, another young team, not as young as the Pistons, because the Pistons have been a lot worse relatively in the last, you know, five years or so. But, you know, the Spurs also really struggling. But Cage, you said this off air, so I'd like you I'll say I'll like you to repeat it. The difference between the Spurs and the Pistons is because Greg Popovich has been there so long, Pop has played the young guys more consistently and in their roles a little more consistently so far this season, even though they've lost the last seventeen, have the San Antonio Spurs. And they kind of started off by like rolling with Jeremy Sohan at the point guard position. And that kind of threw everybody off guard. And naturally they've struggled offensively. But they've stayed consistent. There's a system in place. And yes, they've been losing games. 17 in a row, might I add. But there's been a lot of close ones. Like during this losing streak. And it's and ironically it started with they with them blowing a 20 point lead to the Raptors. They've had I wanna count this four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine. Out of those 17 losses, nine of them have been by single digits. So it's not like they're getting blown out. They're playing together. Obviously, they're making mistakes because they're, they're a young team. And the West is a bloodbath. But the difference is there's a coach pop is playing the young guys. There's a structure in place. There's a system in place. They're just not good enough right now because of the youth and town disparity and discipline to be getting wins. But they're on the right path. They got a direction. Something Detroit desperately needs. So... I know this is going to get better for the Spurs. Maybe not wins-wise, because 
Oh man, they played the Lakers twice. After that, the New Orleans and Milwaukee, Chicago, Dallas. This gets interesting. Utah and then two games against Portland. So we were talking about Detroit, like San Antonio getting closer and closer to that goal to that um infamous 26 game losing streak uh streak there but they're doing the they're doing all the right things right now it's just it's not resulting in wins and if you're tr- going about the process the right way and trying to go slow and steady then you can live with that. Because at least you're getting somewhere. At least there's a direction in place. What's frustrating for me seeing the Pistons is that there's no direction. Now, Cage, you're going to like this. You mentioned Jeremy Sohan, former Baylor Bayer. Sohan is averaging the same same amount of points exactly he did last year. He's already averaged 11 points a game last year. He's averaging 11 points a game this year. But completely different. He shot 45% from the field and 24% from three, playing the four, playing the power forward. Now playing point guard, he's shooting 43% from the field, but 39% from three. His three-point percentage has gone up exponentially. Turnovers-wise, he's gone up from a 1.7 to 2.5, so basically a full turnover up from playing power forward to, to point guard, but he's averaging almost two full assists more. He averaged 2.5 last year, as I quickly go check the basketball reference number because I think it's a little different. No, it is 2.5, so 2.5 assists last year to 4.2 assists this year as the point guard for the San Antonio Spurs. So... Sohan has done a really good job of acclimating to his new role with the, with the Spurs, which you got to think rather admirable for a guy that, you know, wasn't a great scorer in college with the Bears and wasn't a guy that averaging 1.8 assists in college for the Bears in his one year at Baylor as the sixth man, winning the sixth man of the year in the Big 12, you know, wasn't really his game, was passing the rock. Now... He's the facilitator to Victor Wamanyama. And he's done, you know, relatively pretty damn good job. And again, as a second-year player, former first-round pick, ninth overall. He really is. There's stories like that. Keldon Johnson has found is is still putting up points. Devin Vassell's doing his thing. Trey Jones has provided a playmaking lift off the bench. Malachi Branham has shown some spurts. But the biggest thing is they're playing their young guys. And they're showing growth. When you give young guys opportunity, they will grow. And that's why I don't mind this losing streak from San Antonio. Because they're doing the right things needed to grow that team into an eventual contender. But they're young. And they need time. And that's been known. And that's been known that the Spurs, even with Wembenyama in the fold, need time to grow. And they have grown. And they have grown, even if it hasn't resulted in wins yet. Sticking with the NBA, and moving over to a team we've talked about quite a lot recently, Los Angeles Clippers. They've won their last three, 
actually make that last four, including tonight against, well, yesterday technically against the Trailblazers. They play again tonight, Tuesday, against the Sacramento Kings, at least at home at the Forum. But they've won four straight this month. They're undefeated in December, beating the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Jazz, and now the Trailblazers. So they play the Kings again tonight. They play the Warriors again on Thursday. So, again, the going don't get any easier for L.A., the Clippers at least. But, you know, they've been able to win the last couple of games. And it's definitely seeming like since Russell Westbrook took that, as you and I met, you and I quite uh, upsettingly mentioned his, his new role on the bench to Russell Westbrook, seems like it's worked for the Los Angeles Clippers as they've been able to start getting their guys going and start getting the wins to finally pile up for the team. And you kind of knew with the amount of talent that Clippers team has, they'd find a way to get it together. Although it was sort of hilarious watching that game and seeing Moses Brown, former Clipper, burn them on the offensive glass. But that team's got a lot of offensive talent with Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, PG, Zubaj Manning, the middle. Daniel Tyson has been a nice addition as a backup big with Mason Plumley out now. Um, you got guys like Terrence Mann, Norman Powell. Yeah, Brandon Boston Jr. and Amir Coffey and Bones Highland who haven't really played much. So they've got depth. They've got offensive depth. And they're finally starting to figure things out, at least on the offensive end. Defensively, they do need a lot of work. But then again, who do, really does play defense in this in today's NBA at this point? Um, but defensively, they do have to get better. Offensively, they can't fall into your turn, my turn mode. And Ty Lue's got, and I think this was kind of like, even though they won four in a row, this was, this kind of frustrated me watching that Clippers game versus the Blazers. When Russell Westbrook was on the floor, the Clippers offense was free flowing. They got to their spots. I think he played, he, I believe he had four assists in like five minutes or seven minutes from like when he subbed on halfway through the first to the end of the first quarter. I didn't see him for the entire second quarter and the offense grinded to a halt. Same thing at the, during a stretch of the third quarter when Westbrook was only on the floor, the offense was free flowing. But when Harder was on the floor, Against a young team like the Blazers, who do like, who are athletic and like to run, the offense just grinded to a halt, and it's just like late shot clock situations, ISO, no player or ball ball movement, the ball sticking, and the offense just ground ground to a halt, just grinded to a halt. And you can't have that. And you can't have that if you're playing better teams. So. It's still going to be a work in progress throughout this season because they never really had a training camp together, at least Harden and the rest of those guys. And Harden's still trying to work his way back into game shape. But, 
there's a lot of talent on that team on that team that talent wise is a championship contender. Health also plays a role and chemistry does too. So this is going to be an ongoing process to see how this team is going to is going to shape up come not only all-star all break but also come the start of the playoffs. Now a team that isn't in title contention and ironically is seen as more a defensive team or it likes that defensive identity you are the Toronto defense? Raptors Cajun. Defense? No, they, no, the Raptors try to play defense. It's been their identities for quite a while now, I think. Well, now, anyway, well, they play, well, they play defense now. Oh, uh, well, I guess you can complain to your new head coach, Darko Ryakovich. But, uh, again, your Raptors haven't won a game yet in December. They've lost their last four games, again, all in December so far this month. Um, they played their next four games at home. Two straight against the Atlanta Hawks, then host the Charlotte Hornets, who have already beat them this month, and then end the homestand against the Denver Nuggets. So we'll see what the Raptors can do in their next four games. But again, have lost their last four. They're six and six at home, are the only Canadian team in the NBA. But more reports coming out about Siakam and Anobi. Are they going to get traded? Are they on the block? Teams all have been calling for both OG and Pascal for the past God knows how long, Cage, at least probably six months, you'd think. But apparently talks have again sort of heated up for the Toronto Raptors as they, you know, try to find a way to improve, I would say, because I think Masai Ujiri, team president, thinks that this team is a uh, contender or wants them to be a contender. But I don't think the team is a contender, Cage. I know I think you are also on that boat of they are not a contender, and Masai needs to pick a direction with this team truly because he continues to sort of hedge between retool and rebuild, and you can't hedge. You, you got to pick one, and his team has suffered for it, so for it in that time. A lot of change needs to happen, and Darko Ryakovich has tried some things. But one thing that he shouldn't really be trying is the four star, four bench players in Scotty Barnes. Like, that does not make any sense to me whatsoever. With Gary Trent Jr., Malachi Flynn, Precious and Chris Boucher, where's the shot creation? Where's the ball handling? Where's the playmaking? Where's the consistent playmaking? And I think a lineup change needs to happen. I actually agree with what you said earlier. Have Barnes start at the point and have Gary Trent Jr. start. Maybe that'll jumpstart his offense. He's he's really struggled this season mightily. And I mean mightily. So maybe that gets him off the schneid, knowing that there, there's going to be a little bit more spacing that he could provide in that starting lineup and a lot more room to op- operate with Scotty at the point. You're right, Masai needs to pick a direction. Worst case scenario would be what happened last year. When you hung on to Fred Van Vliet for too long, and then he leaves in free agency for nothing. Last thing you want to do, and this would be so catastrophic, is for the same thing to happen to guys, to Pascal Siakam and OG and Obi. Losing them both for nothing would be nothing short of malpractice. So, yes, this is a new 
system. Yes, there's a new coach in place, but you got to pick a direction. Right now, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on during the stretch of basketball? Isn't it? Because for a team that's supposed to be a defensive minded team, they do give up a lot of points, especially in the first quarter. Especially in the first quarter. There's no way a team like the New York Knicks should be dropping 136 points on your dome. There's just no way. A Tom Thibodeau led offense scored 136 points. Like, that can't happen. That can't happen. This team's got way too much talent defensively for that to happen. And you got to wonder, Spence, like, will a lineup change happen? Will a trade happen? Should a trade happen? Like, there's a lot more questions than answers for this Raptors team. And it's very frustrating because it's kind of like Detroit. They, like, they do have five guys in place to a degree. But not really much of a direction, and me being a Raptors fan, it's just it's just been kind of it's just been kind of frustrating. Like, it's gotten to the point where it's gotten to the point where it's like, I'd be watching any other game but the Raptors, and ironically, I work at Raptors games, so maybe that might be just fatigue. But still, there's not only changes that have to be made in terms of both sides of the ball, because offensively they seem. They seem to play a lot better in this one against the Knicks, but they gotta bring it. But consistency has to be there. The effort has to be there on both sides of the ball, especially defensively. And maybe there's a lot of guys that are playing in new roles that like there might be some growing pains. But it just hasn't been pretty to watch by any sort of means. And. The longer this losing continues, you gotta think like you gotta find you gotta find some pieces back for Siakam and Ananobi. Because unless you get the go ahead that they might recent that they're gonna re-sign here, you don't wanna take that chance at all. And it's take that chance again. Because of what happened with Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. Granted, kinda glad they didn't play pay Van Vliet as much as they as much as he got. Is what he got, but still. Now, one player cage I want to mention, who we have openly gushed about, I have openly gushed about on this very show, on this very podcast, who's played one game for the Toronto Raptors. He had two points, two rebounds, two assists, and a steal, no turnovers in four minutes of game time. He apparently has a rib injury. I'm not sure what that's from, but apparently he's out right now for for the Raptors, quote-unquote. Cage, I want you to guess who he is. Now, it's not going to be a, 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 a Scrabble board. We'll do that on a Thursday. He's played five games in the G League, Cage. Five games for the, the Raptors 905. He played 33 and a half minutes in those five games. He's averaged 15.8 points on 40% shooting, 40% from the field, 8.5, 8.4 assists, 3.8 rebounds, 1.4 steals on only two turnovers a game. Who do you think that is? Marquise Noel. That is the guy that you and I both love, former Kansas State Wildcat, Marquise Noel. The Raptors need to find a spot for this young man. He's actually older than me. He's younger than you. 23 years young is Marquise Noel. Undrafted free agent. A lot of, agent, a lot of players are younger than me. Let's be real. 
a lot of stars too, might I have. But anyway, Marquise Noel, undrafted free agent for the Toronto Raptors. I wish the Celtics picked him up. Those I, many mean, I, mean, I mean, they did pick but, up a, a Rexdale native, uh, Delano Benton. Yeah, uh, tra- trade me Marquise Noel for Delano Benton any day of the week. Anyway, um, hey, they got to find a way to get Marquise Noel. wins a title, Toronto. Toronto wins a title too with Benton there. Whatever you say. As long if Tatum's there, I'll go. If Tatum ain't there, I, I don't need to see the chip. Anyway. Anyway. Um they gotta find a way to get Marquise Noel in the lineup, man. And I don't know yeah. if this rib injury that, that I'm I keep seeing on every on every site is, you know, why he's not playing for either the G League team or the NBA team. But there's there's two things that have to happen with Marquise Noel. Either you stick him on the, the nine oh five team and you just let him start the 33 and a half minutes he's averaging or more, or you give him true minutes on the bench for the Raptors. And I get you can't predict how many minutes he's going to get, Cage. I do understand that. But you can't put him on the Raptors bench and then just not play him. That's just a waste of his time. He's not going to mm-hmm. get any better. And already being 23... I'm not going to say there's not development to be made there, because obviously there is, but as a 5-7 point guard in Marquise Noel, you know there's going to be a ceiling there, defensively especially. So you have to get him developed as quickly as possible. So him sitting on the NBA bench ain't going to help him. He's not a 19-year-old kid. He's not an 18-year-old kid. He's not even a 20-year-old kid, right? So the Raptors need also need to find a way to get Marquise Noel either NBA minutes or leave him with the 905 and let him get exponentially better, or at least get acclimated to what the NBA speed could look like. Because he's obviously shown with the 905 team, even in only five games, I think he can play in the NBA. No, I'm not saying he, he, he should start, even though I'd love to see him start, by the way. But he can play in the NBA. He's a great passer. He's a decent scorer. He can shoot the rock from three. He hasn't turned the ball over a whole lot. Again, eight and a half assists just about to two turnovers a game. It's a pretty damn good assist to turnover ratio for a small guy like him. And I'm using that, 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 that slender height as a positive rather than a negative. Because mm. he's what the Raptors don't have. The Raptors don't have a pass-first guy. They have a lot of passers, like they're passing the Rock as a team more. But Marquise Noel... Don't make no mistake, is a pass-first point guard. His shooting is a afterthought. His shooting is a is a side dish. His passing is the turkey at Thanksgiving. His scoring is the potatoes, which would be my my turkey, but regardless, is is the cranberry sauce, is the stuffing. Mm-hmm. It can be your meal. It can be you know the main course, but it it, it isn't for him. And I'd love to see him get more time with the NBA team when he's fully healthy. Or just stick him with the 905 and Cage and I can make the trip over to Mississauga, that disgusting building they play in, and we'll go what the we'll, Paramount, we'll go see him play. The, 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 Whatever, the, the, the fine foods, blah, blah, blah. With the the fine arena suck. that's a Paramount Fine Foods Center. Yeah, where, 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 the, where the garbage Mississauga Steelheads the play. The great Paramount Fine Foods Center. You know, if Marquise no- um, and I'll say this, mark my words, Cage, mark my words. If Marquise Noel goes back to the 905 for a consistent number of games, I want, and I'll say I plan to go to a 905 game. 
because I want to see this young man play. I, okay, I keep saying young man, but he's technically older than me. I want to see him play. I saw him play on on TV for Kansas State during when I was watching some March Madness games. I fell in love with Kansas State story. I fell in love with Coach Jerome Tang. I fell in love with Marquise Malone, and obviously Keontae Johnson with his own story from Florida, having the cardiac arrest, sitting out two years at Florida, going you know, transferring for his final NCAA eligibility year, playing for Kansas State with Marquise Noel, and being able to have a sweet 16 run. You know, that's a great story. And I loved every second of it. But they need to find a way to get him, Marquise Noel, in the lineup or give him consistent minutes at the 905 level, which he's already gotten so far this year. But they got to find a way to get Noel spots because he's good enough to play the show. They just got to find a way to get him involved, at least more consistently, especially with a guy like Grady Dick, who's really struggled this year. Jaden McDaniels has really struggled this year, percentage-wise. Um, even Otto Porter hasn't been what the Raptors probably would have hoped he'd be off the bench for him. So I'd love to see Marquise Noel get some more minutes, especially mm. if the Raptors do decide to sell, which I think they should. I, I will, you know, I think you'll agree with me on that, Kate, that the Raptors are probably trying to get max value for Siakam and OG. As good as players as they are, but this team is not going to win with them on the team. They're just not. Like, they're not They're not good enough with them. You might as well get do the Sam Presti route, get all the draft picks you can, get all the young guys you can, and try to become a good young team. And then you give minutes to Marquise Noel and Malachi Flynn and Grady Dick and Jaden McDaniels, who's also a rather young guy at just 25 years young. You know? And see what see what you can do. Or I probably should say Jalen McDaniels. I thought it was Jaden McDaniels, the form. I think he's with Minnesota, actually, former Washington. It's Jalen McDaniels from SDSU from San Diego State. But regardless, give some of these young guys, even Precious Achua, who's only 24. You know, give some of these younger guys more minutes and see what you got in them before you start making choices on who's going to stick around and who's going to go from your assuming rebuild with Scotty Barnes being obviously the the star in the mm-hmm. forefront, the superstar of that rebuild to finish us off cage to finish us off here. We're going to look a little, we're going to take a little bit of a roundup here of the NCAA. So for the women's, since we last spoke, the only big games happened on Sunday, December 10th. And were there some big games cage UCLA number two in the nation. They beat Florida state. It was number 20 in the nation. 95 70 to 78 that would have been a great game to watch sadly i was working ohio state they beat penn state the big 10 rivals 12 ohio state beats 25 penn state 94 84 that was an overtime yep now the big one south carolina stay perfect 78 69 win over number 11 utah easily their biggest game of the year for the gamecocks and they do come out on the winning end. And man, Utah came after them with everything that they got. Because South Carolina started that game off well, being up eleven at the at the first quarter after the first quarter, and that little South Carolina make a statement and run away with it. Utah just kept fighting back. Um, 
yeah, Utah just, they just kept fighting. They just kept fighting and fighting and fighting back. Alyssa Peely had a big-time game. She's only scored less than 20 points twice. Utah scored 69 points. She had 37. So more than half of their points. And shot 15 and 23 from the field, 3 of 6 from downtown, 4 of 4 from the free throw line. So, man, like, talk about carrying a team offensively. Philly was exactly that. The only upset of the day, Washington beats Washington State. Washington State number 21 in the nation. Washington, the Huskies unranked. They win 65-55. And then the last big game, UConn, back in the win column. They beat North Carolina, freshly ranked, 76-64. Paige Beckers had 26 points and four blocks and three steals in the win for the Huskies over the Tar Heels. So, again, a big win there for Beckers and her UConn team. That's had its struggles throughout this year, but... They had also had some big wins and a lot of big games against a lot of really good competition. All their losses have been to ranked teams. So it's been a murderer's row for the Huskies, and they've had some big wins in those big losses. So you mm-hmm. can't really fault them there. And you also got to give them credit again for fighting against those big, bad teams that most other, I'll say most other college teams would have wanted no part of. No part of. And then since we last spoke with the NCAA on the men's side, Saturday's big onslaughted games went off without a hitch. Tennessee beats the Illini. 17 beats 20. 86-79 did the Volunteers. So the Illini might not be ranked the next time we come to the polls as good as they've been this year. Purdue did beat Alabama, but it it was a damn close game, 92-86 in favor of the Boilermakers. Zach Eady had 35 points and 7 rebounds in his homecoming. Braden Smith took over the show, though, Cage. He had 27 points, 5 rebounds, and 8 assists in the win. While over on the Alabama side, Mark Sears had 35 points in the loss. He shot 53% from the or 52% from the field and 50% from three. And that was eight makes on 16 attempts from beyond the arc. So that was a great game between two really good teams. In fairness to Alabama, who are now unranked, have been ranked this season. Another big one cage. Arizona beat Wisconsin. We talked about the Badgers being freshly ranked, and they had a tough game coming up after Michigan State. They lose big. 98-73 win for the number one team in the nation, the Wildcats, who continue to just roll their way throughout a conference play. And a couple upsets, though, later in the day. BYU, 14. They go down to Utah, unranked, 73-69. Colorado State, 13th in the nation. They go down. They lose to St. Mary, 64-61. And the Gonzaga, the big one, the Bulldogs, number seven in the nation, they lose to unranked Washington, 78-73. And the Zags at a conference play, ironically, doesn't get any easier as upcoming for them before they hit their conference play are the Huskies, the number five Utah, uh, yeah, the UConn Huskies. 
they get to play them. They get to host them, though, at least in Spokane. But that's still not an easy game for Gonzaga. Their last game before their conference play starts in January, Cage, they got to play SDSU, San Diego State University, who are currently, at least were ranked number 25 in the nation. I think they just fell out of the polls. But good team is SDSU. They're a well-oiled machine, and they're not going to be an easy night out either. They're for the Washington-based club. Mm-hmm. And you, um, go ahead. I'm not sure if you mentioned Miami. Not yet. I was just about to get to that cage. Games that just happened on Sunday. So that was all happening Saturday, December 9th. The games that happened on Sunday to end the weekend, the Hurricanes, number 15 in the nation, get blown out again. They lost big to Kentucky, 95-73, but that was the Wildcats. You know, that was another ranked team. This time, it was to an unranked opponent, Colorado, boat race. The Hurricanes, and this game was at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, 90-63 win for the Buffaloes. Dominated the second half, did the Buffaloes, 53-27 second half in favor of Colorado. So Miami go down again, and then Texas A&M, who are 21 in the nation. They go down to Penny Hardaway in the Memphis Tigers, before I mess that up, the Memphis Tigers get a big win at a conference to add to their 7-2 and two start to the season, who have been in contention to get themselves ranked in the AP polls. I will now mention, in the most recent AP polls that were released technically yesterday, as you listen to this, the big risers, unranked, were Northwestern, Virginia, and Wisconsin, as I mentioned, up to 23. Virginia up to 22. Northwestern up to 25. Miami drops from 15 to 24. Other big droppers. Texas drops from 12 to 19. BYU from 14 to 18. Colorado State from 13 to 17. As then looking at the risers, Oklahoma undefeated 9-0 start. There went from 19 to 11. Tennessee from 17 to 12. Clemson also undefeated. They went from 24 to 13 in the most recent AP poll as basically the top 10 really unchanged. Gonzaga fell from 7 to 10. Crichton jumped from 10 to 8. And then everyone else kind of stayed pat with a couple spots here or there kind of shifting around. But the men's poll from basically 11 down had a lot of movement and a lot of big movement with, again, Clemson jumping the 11 spots from 24 to 13. And the scary part is it's, it's just going to continue because we thought the upsets were big last week. This week has just been all over the place as well. Like, and it's kind of sort of, uh, it's kind of sort of looked like last year's March Madness tournament in which we saw the expected teams kind of bow out early. I was going to say, Kitch, as you say that, this coming week on Friday, December 15th, we'll probably preview it on Thursday's edition. The UConn Huskies play Gonzaga, as I mentioned. Five play 10, but the both recent eight people. Number five in the nation, UConn, play number 10, Gonzaga. Then on Saturday, December 16th, you've got the LSU Tigers men's team, who's mediocre. They get to play the Texas Longhorns. As I quickly look through some other games that I think will be interesting, Indiana, the Hoosiers, Seven and two start this year for the Hoosiers. They play number two in the nation, Kansas. 
and that is in Indiana. That is at home for the Hoosiers, so Kansas got to go to Indiana. Another big game, Cage, the number six in the nation, Baylor Bears, undefeated Baylor. They take on the four and five uh, Michigan State Spartans. That's not at Michigan State, though, but it is in Michigan. It's at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. So it is technically still a home game for the Spartans as their rough season, their rough start continues for the preseason number three or number four team in the nation. So the Spartans still, you know, are on upset watch even at four and five to start the year, especially against the number six in the nation, Baylor Bears. Mm. Texas A&M, who just fell out of the top 25 polls, they get to host Houston. The number four Cougars make their way to, I believe it is, College Station in Texas to play A&M. And actually, it's actually in Houston at the Toyota Center, but the listed home team is A&M. But that's going to be basically a home game for the Cougars. Again, is in Houston at the, the big arena. And then Memphis. I mentioned they had a big win before their most recent AP poll. They got another one. They play Clemson. But Clemson's got to make their way to Memphis. So Memphis got another chance to claim another big upset and get their way into the top 25 poll. And then, Cage, and then we get the spicy games on Saturday, December 16th. Number one, Arizona. Take on number three, Purdue. Oh, boy. In a game that is going to be cataclysmic. The game is in Indianapolis. So it is a home game for Purdue against the undefeated Wildcats for what you think would be the number one spot in the nation for the winner of that game. Sorry, Kansas, but the winner of that game is going to be number one team in the nation, regardless of if Purdue ends up beating the Wildcats. Another mm. big one, Cage, that I saw as my phone decides to glitch out on me. The number nine, I believe it's number nine, North Carolina, the Tar Heels, they get to take on... I'll say an arch rival, but a rival never, nevertheless. And I believe it is Kentucky. Yeah, it is. Number nine, North Carolina. The Tar Heels play the Kentucky Wildcats. The Blue Bloods go at it. And that one's in Georgia at State Farm Arena in A-Town. So another big ranked-on-ranked game. And then you go down even a little bit farther, Cage. Alabama unranked, but again, good team. They play Crichton in Omaha, Nebraska. I believe that technically would be a neutral site. But regardless, big games all around on the men's side of the pool this coming weekend. So again, if you know, you're kind of thinking about watching some college basketball, highly recommend it, especially you, Cajun. Highly recommend it. As over on the women's side, Marquette play Crichton, 19 play 20. That happens tomorrow, as you listen to this on Wednesday, December 13th. Sliding down to the weekend, some other big games on Saturday, December 16th. So if you don't want to watch, watch men's basketball, why not watch some women's? The Louisville Cardinals, they make their way to Connecticut to take on the Yukon Huskies. That's 17 versus 18, Yukon versus Louisville. Uh, the Miami Hurricanes, undefeated, 24th in the nation, take on Baylor, number 10 in the nation, undefeated. That's in Arlington, Texas. Another big ranked-on-ranked game there on the women's side. Those are the two real big ones there on the women's side of ranked-on-ranked games. But South, or South Carolina, also in action. NC State, 
number three in the nation. They're in action. Iowa with Caitlin Clark, number four in the nation. They're in action on Saturday, December 16th. So lots of big games going around the NCAA coming up here, Cage. And it's going to be a lot of shaking around in the AP polls you'd expect when we come to next Monday's edition of Polar Opposites. There is going to be a massive shakeover on both on both the men's and women's sides. They call that tournament March Madness, but hey, seems like the madness may have just started. Uh, I don't know, like three or four months early. You may be right, and we're gonna end with this. Trying to try to end this quick as we've gone a little longer than I expected, but I usually do that when I talk about college basketball. I always seem to go long. Bronny James has made his. NCAA debut. Obviously, LeBron's son made his debut for UC, or uh, for I say UCLA, USC, in a loss, sadly, to Long Beach State, 84-79 in overtime. Bronny had four points, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, a block, no turnovers, no fouls in 17 minutes of play. So stat stuff in the stat sheet, just like his dad. And as you clap Cage there in the background, it is great. Oh, also, he also shot one for two from the free throw line. So really following his dad's footsteps is Bronny James. So great sight to see Bronny. Obviously, you would like to see USC win his first game, but it's still great to see Bronny not only play his first NCAA game, but have a relatively good night, you know. Having, you know, two steals, a block on defense, having two assists, having three rebounds, those four points, you know. I think you would have saw the clip cage with the chase down block he had. Man. Of his block, it was a chase down block that you would say is LeBron-esque by his son. You know, I'll say it was a picture-perfect opening game for Bronny James. And again, it is just one of many games for his NCAA career coming up as as USC's next game will be against Auburn on the 17th. So that's Sunday coming up. They will make their way to Alabama to play Auburn. So we'll see what he can do in his next game as a Trojan. Whether he stuffed the stat sheet or not, don't, don't matter to me. He's healthy and on a basketball court. Which months ago didn't even th- I didn't even think that would be possible. So go for Bronny and hope he just gets back in the groove of playing basketball, and then the improvement will happen from there on out. But happy for him. Very happy for the James family and especially Bronny making his debut in the NCAA. One of many things to come for that young man. I can call him a young man. I think I am older than him. For that young man in the NCAA and for the USC. Trojan. So his first game sold out against Long Beach State. I expect that will be a common occurrence for the son of LeBron James. But kid, I think that'll do it here for us before we keep you any longer. If you made it all the way to the end, man, are you a trooper? But for Cajun Theru, Thanny Castle, I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you on Thursday for another edition of Polar Opposites here on the Outrage Inc.